It's 18 minutes now off, uh, well, just before 9 p.m., I should rather say, and uh, uh, certainly uh, um, a very sort of horrific story there uh, coming out of the Eastern Cape uh, before we took that break. And uh, my colleague Abungi Lejanchi is uh, here at the SABC. Uh, speaking to some members of the community, and uh, you can hear, I guess, from what they're suggesting, that attributing a lot of these gory murders uh, to uh, the influence, uh, I guess, and the abuse of uh, drugs. Suggesting that many of uh, the people involved in these murders uh, do so because they are looking to extort many of these uh, senior citizens of their money. Uh, and you can imagine, I mean, it's the 3rd of February. Um, from the 29th right up to as Nsukosiku Zongoku is when people go and collect their grants. So I think many of these scoundrels would have felt that, um, yeah, uh, many of uh, these uh, elderly uh, were cash flush during this moment. Um, and I think it's a very sad and unfortunate state of affairs there. It's certainly a story we'll uh, try and look up again and hopefully speak to um, members of the police service in the Eastern Cape uh, to follow up on that particular score. But we continue uh, talking, I guess, about uh, social uh, uh, development and uh, uh, the uh, implications of uh, the social wage during this difficult moment of COVID-19. And uh, I'm joined under the microscope this evening by the C19 People's Coalition, uh, we're talking about um, the extending and the increase of the Social Relief of Distress Grant and uh, Natasha Valley from the C19 People's Coalition and also from UCT uh, joins me this evening. Uh, Dr. Valley, good evening to you and welcome. Hi, Ayabonga. Thanks for having me. Yeah, always a pleasure. Uh, let's maybe start off here. Um, you know, I guess what might be good to hear is, is just some of the reflections of the C19 People's Coalition on how the first phase of the social relief of distress grant, uh, you know, had uh, had an impact at a household level and for many South Africans. I think the last time I spoke to you uh, was probably either in the first few phases of its implementation or even, I guess, uh, while the deliberations were still going about its uh, initiation. Yes, so um, we know that the social relief of distress grant amount was 350 rand. Um, which is a very small amount of money if one thinks about what one's able to mm. do with that. And yet that amount of money um, directly reached 6 million people and indirectly reached millions more than that. And then if one thinks about the caregiver grant, which was the 500 rand provided to uh, caregivers receiving a child support grant, um, then one notices that even though it's a small bit of money, it really made um, an impact on people's lives and livelihood over the last year, uh, particularly given the, the economic devastation that was wreaked um, by the lockdown and by the pandemic in general. And, and I guess when, when we think about not just the quanta of it, but uh, you know, how many people would have received this, the process of doing so, some of your reflections on this, um, I've certainly heard, I guess, uh, from many of your, your colleagues and comrades, um, some critiques of, of the criteria and the targeting methods uh, that we used uh, to access this particular grant. This is a very, very important thing. And I think before um, I respond to that directly, um, I want to say that we're three days into February, like you say, um, and we still heard nothing from the government about extending the now terminated uh, social relief of distress grant because um, we know it it uh, was terminated at the end of January. So people are going into this month of February um, not knowing uh, how, how they're going to survive and how they're going to put food on the table. Um, and I think the silence is deafening 
And when we're talking about uh, the exclusions from those receiving this grant, we need to first talk about how um, there's no grant anymore. And that's a fundamental problem. So um, our initial and first demand is to extend these grants. Um, Like I said, they're small, but they've been a lifeline to millions. Um, So the first demand is to extend it until the end of March 2022 as a temporary bridge to buy time to implement effective systems in order to have a more long-term basic income guarantee. But then, like you say, some of the conditions that were in place for the SRD grant were also uh, really problematic. Um, Several of them um, we've detailed elsewhere, but I think the key one to raise here is that um, the SRD grants have to be extended to caregivers as well. And the reason I say that is because caregivers in our country um, don't receive the grant for themselves. They receive the grant on behalf of the child, right? So if the condition is that the COVID grant is not given to people already receiving a grant, then caregivers should not be cut out of the equation, if you hear what I'm saying. They should be included Mm, in that SRD mm. grant. And we know that when we speak about caregivers, we're speaking almost um, exclusively about women. So the termination of the caregiver grant last year um, was Mm. an attack on women. So we're both expecting women to take care of children and also punishing them economically even further for for having to do so. Natasha, I want us to pause here. Um, And when we come back, I mean, I want us to to maybe unpack, you know, the implications of of the social relief of distress um, uh, experiment, if I can put it like that. And and I don't say that to to make it seem like, you know, uh, people's lives are, you know, the subject of lab-like inquiries. But uh, I think to think of it in the context of many deliberations that have been happening on comprehensive social security and whether or not it starts to open up the possibilities of, of what we can imagine in that space. Uh, and we'll certainly come back to some of those themes after this brief break. Ten minutes it is before 9pm. Now we're under the microscope this evening and uh, trying to unpack uh, the social relief of distress grant and uh, some of the uh, reflections from the C19 People's Coalition, a coalition of civil society and social justice organizations Uh, and uh, some of their views on uh, whether or not this should continue. And uh, before we get to that, Natasha, around sort of where, whether it should continue, at what level, and what impact we think it's going to have at a household level, um, I guess the question I was asking earlier, you know, we know since as early as the, you know, early 2000s or so, there's been debates around the comprehensive social security in South Africa. And a key element of those has been, what kind of social security protection do you give to those between the ages of 18 and 59 uh, who don't necessarily benefit from the existing social wage mechanisms. Um, and, and I'm quite interested to hear, certainly from you uh, at uh, C19 People's Coalition, whether or not you think this you know, social relief of distress opened up that debate again and effectively um, gave us a much clearer sense of what is possible in the immediate. You know, Ayatonga, as we just went to break, um, I was looking at the household affordability data again, and mm. just kind of being, you know, shocked all over again at the average cost of a household food basket. So here I'm looking at this December 2020 data, and it's 4,000 rand for an average cost of a household food basket. 
So mm. if one just thinks about um, the the grants in relation to that, you can see that it's a small drop in the ocean in terms of um, just how expensive food and other basic staples are. Um, and this uh, this has meant to come out of nowhere, right? This is not um, a crisis of the pandemic. This is a crisis of inequality that has existed for a very long time. And I think... Um, the way that you phrased that question, Ayabonga, was really important because we have to take it back to how demands for basic income guarantee are not new. Um, mm. They've been part of um, struggles, uh, union struggles and civil society struggles from the early 2000s. But I think you're right in saying that there is something about um, the absolute devastation that this pandem- pandemic has wreaked that has made us realize that the way that things are is not working. Um, and so, like you're saying, yes, um, 18 to 59-year-olds are the group of people that are um, in many ways excluded from the existing grant system. So, um, And one of the important things to note here is that there are no jobs, right? So what jobs there are are, are often um, low-quality, insecure, impermanent, irregular, unsafe, um, ununionized, um, and... In order to say that people must just go and get it, um, is to ignore that reality um, that, mm, that they are. Mm. And so we need to think about the constitutional obligations of the state um, for, the, for the population, but also adjust about what it means to be good people, what it means to be moral in a time, um, in, particularly in a time of pandemic. And um, this is a once in a lifetime occurrence. Um, and we need to be thinking about how um, people are literally starving. So I think last time we spoke, Ayabonga, uh, it was just as um, Gift of Givers had written about their experiences in the Eastern Cape and how they hadn't seen yes, hunger, of hunger. outside mm, of the war zone. Mm. Yes. Um, and, and so I think that a basic income guarantee is one way that, like you say, is gaining momentum after having been... Um, you know, purposely sidelined um, from the early 2000s. And I think it's gaining momentum in many ways that we can see actively. So, for example, the Black Sash has been doing some work around this, and they've received a quarter of a million, um, just under a quarter of a million signatures um, in support of a basic income guarantee. And there have been rumblings from inside government, um, none of them loud enough and strong enough yet. Um, but mm, in mm. terms of anti-austerity campaigns, um, I was on a meeting this morning about people talking about anti-austerity measures, and a basic income guarantee is one of the things that's um, kind of becoming more and more prominent. And I think the demands around one are going to be increased. And it's not a silver bullet, right? Nobody is saying that this is the be-all and end-all of redistributive justice in post-apartheid mm. South Africa. But I think it's about understanding that the way things are going currently are not working, and about saying, what sure. about a basic in- income guarantee? So not a grant. This is a guarantee from the state. Uh, what about that can allow us space and time to think and work towards a more kind of long, um, long-term uh, radical p- p- possibility? Mm, mm. It's interesting, I mean, w- w- when you put it that way, because... I mean, no, no step in this process, I guess, has not been met with its own resistance. Um, you know, we wouldn't be where we are now, if you think about when the Taylor uh, Commission report was published in the early 2000s, if there wasn't some resistance to, to, 
I guess, this particular form of income relief as a standing element rather than a temporary measure, because we, what we're talking about here really was framed in temporary terms. Uh, but I think the big question that many people have asked, and, and I want to hear you know, your view on this, um, is that you know, this be seen as part of um, you know, a, a process towards a basic income. Uh, grant, as many people have suggested, um, or even a process in the case of the caregivers grant you are talking about there, to some form of recognition of care work as work uh, in the form of some form of employment guarantee for many uh, women of all ages who undertake that kind of, of work within the ambit of the home. What's your view on that? Um, and I guess how does that feature uh, into the call you're making here for the extension of the SRD and its increase from 350 to 585 rand a person? So the first thing is, like you say, that the Taylor, Taylor Committee's report already was speaking about um, the value that a basic income um, guarantee could have uh, on, on, on the country. And it goes to show that at a certain stage, um, without political will, um, all the evidence one can provide doesn't seem to be sufficient. So there has to be... Um, the political will, and in order to get that, we we know there has to be kind of um, large-scale demands made um, of the government. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that, yes, so you touched on an important point, which is that we're not only calling for the extension of grants and the uh, uh, rethinking and reformulation of the eligibility criteria that we spoke about earlier, but also about the increase of the amount. So... Um, the amount that we've put out there is already contested, the amount of 585 rand, which is the food poverty line. Um, there are, of course, I think they're, they're, um, it's possible to make economic projections for, for, for larger amounts as well. Um, and yes, one of, the, one of the potentialities is that this grant then becomes um, a long-term uh, permanent income guarantee um, we're hoping that you know with either way that it goes Ayabonga, if this grant were itself to then become the basic income guarantee is one way another way is for this to be this grant to be extended and put in place in the meanwhile while we ensure the systems and the kind of practicalities and pragmatics around an income guarantee following that one year um, so th those details of it are, of course, fundamental and need to be worked on. But I think the, the ideological principle at the moment is, is a lot of where, um, where, where the battleground is. And, 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 yeah, and, and I guess, you know, the, the, that's the issue, that, um, you know, the, there's the mix of the pra pragmatics, there's a struggle that's going to have to happen. Um, and all of the while, all of this happens, you know, um, as, as we see the unfolding hunger at a household level and beyond. Um, and I guess those are some of the issues. Um, what are your expectations just as we wrap up coming from the budgetary process? I mean, you've certainly agitated for an increase and an extension of the grants, but um, um, your expectations, I guess, with where we are from a macro fiscal perspective and uh, what uh, the Treasury would have signaled during the October budget? So the president had, has mentioned that um, they'll consider extending the grant, but you know January's ended, like we said, and the grants have already terminated. So we are, um, of course, extremely hopeful that 
um, in our calls for a meeting with the president, we were then passed on to the minister, ministry, who then delayed with us, and even since then has um, not gotten back to us. And so there doesn't seem to be the urgency that is required in order to address this. Um, so while we want to be hopeful, we also know that um, nothing's going to happen without the pressure. Um, the other thing is just to think about to, to understand that this is not about necessarily reinventing the wheel. So we have spoken about how we, we do need to consider pragmatics and the practicalities, mm-hmm. but, but civil society organizations like the Institute for Economic Justice and the Budget Justice Coalition and others have done the work around how to make resources available and, and how to make this work. As, as we spoke about these last time, but some of them include a work tax. Um, you know, since we last spoke, Ayabonga, we've noticed that the very richest people in our country have gotten even richer during the, um, the pandemic. Um, uh, and over and above that, you know, considering how a significant amount of the beneficiaries' grant money would be returned into the fiscus through taxes, through expenditure on food, um, so that if we do kind of very, very generalized calculations, we're looking at between 2.8 billion and 4.6 billion a month Mm. to continue and extend, continue uh, sure. um, and so at most that's 55 billion for the year and it, it sounds big as a number and of course it is but compared to uh. um, compared to just the moral question um, it's nothing but also compared to the cost of of, um, of not doing it yeah of food packages and other kinds of mm. um, expensive mm. um, actions that are put in place it, it doesn't um it, uh, it's not one of the more expensive options. It actually is uh, sure, one of the more sure. sensible options. Okay, Natasha, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it here. Uh, we have run out of time and uh, would have certainly loved to continue on the score. Uh, but uh, we'll certainly be watching developments on this front very closely. And I certainly hope we can catch up with the coalition after the uh, delivery of the budget uh, sometime in the next few weeks or so. Natasha Valley is from the C19 People's Coalition. 